0: Lord, thank you so much for always meeting with us, being with us, where two or three are gathered in your name. You're in the midst of us, always inside of us, even when we're alone. It's so great to realize that we are in union with you, no matter what is happening around us. You said in the world we shall have tribulation. It's part of the world, but we can be of good cheer because you have overcome the world and you have placed us inside yourself and we in you are like eagles that soar above the storm. The only bird that soars above the storm. Wings of eagles in you, seated with you. You said, I leave my peace with you. I leave my joy with you. Not as the world gives. But as I give. Thank you Lord for this new reality. This this kingdom that's come. Truly the kingdom does not come like men think. For it has come in the spirit. And one day it will be seen with natural eyes when you come again in the skies but now that kingdom is within us another reality the place the place you prepared a place of favor 24-7 from God a place where sin is no longer counted a place where sin is no longer remembered But what is remembered is the Son of God who gave himself for our sin. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Awesome. Thank you, Lord. In this new covenant, I'll remember their sins no more. I will be merciful to all their iniquities. How great is the sacrifice that did this. How great is the sacrifice. The beloved son. For God so loved the world. That he gave. His only son. Whosoever believes on him. Shall receive. The forgiveness. Of all sin. Thank you Lord. Thank you Holy Spirit. Spirit who testifies of Jesus the spirit who testifies of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I want to share some thoughts this morning about how the gospel should be proclaimed or preached. Because I hear things, I'm sure you do too, all the time. You hear things like this. You hear to masses, whether it's television or in groups, things like this. Um, Come, if you want to ask, come come forward if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. You who want to ask Jesus into your heart, come forward. Or raise your hand if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. Or you'll hear, if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, those who want to make him Lord of your life, raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. You know, you hear the whole, just raise your hand if you want to make him Lord of your life. Or what's another one we hear a lot? Dedication. Yes. Surrender and dedication. You who want to surrender to Jesus. You want to surrender to Jesus. Raise your hand. Come forward. If you want to dedicate your life to Christ or rededicate, if you're a believer. But all those things that we hear a lot in the body of Christ, and I'm primarily focused now on speaking to an unbeliever, you know what, what an unbeliever needs to hear. All those things we hear, you know, make Jesus Lord of your life, surrender to him, uh, ask him into your heart, come forward, whatever, all those things. None of those things are scriptural. That's right. Not a single one. Um, and of course, the speakers mean well, they, their intentions are are, are are well, you know, intentioned, but um, notice that none of those things... Ask the unbeliever to believe anything. None of those things ask the none of those things ask the unbeliever to believe anything. In fact, all those things tell the unbeliever to do something. To do something, so God will accept you. Uh, either ask Him to come into your heart. Um, make him Lord of your life, whatever that means, um, surrender to him, commit to him, all those things, not a single thing is asked of the, believer, of the unbeliever to believe. In addition, notice that all those things, if you, if you were to hear that spoken to you, none of those things are really good news. It's not good news. I mean, okay, so you're telling me I need to ask Jesus into my heart. Okay, I'm not sure what that means, but I know, you know, I'm thinking like an unbeliever. You know, I know he was a historical figure. I've heard, you know, that he was the son of God, and I need to ask him to come into my heart. How does a man come into my heart? How how does another person come into my heart? You know, it's confusing. You know, how is that good news? What does that do? It makes me a better person. You know, what... um, make him lord of your life is that good news a lot of unbelievers would say i've tried that my whole life but i can't do it see really most of those things that all those things that are being presented to the unbeliever are things that are done by the spirit after you're a believer after the spirit comes the spirit causes our life to live in such a way where he is our lord and We learn and grow and live by Him. After the Spirit comes, we realize He's actually inside my heart. He's in me. After we believe, after we receive the right invitation, if you want to say it that way, the Spirit, we're basically calling the unbeliever to do what only the Spirit can do in their lives. they got to get the Spirit first. So the key is, how do you get the Spirit of God inside an unbeliever? Because we cannot do it. The unbeliever cannot do it. We couldn't do it. So we need to focus on what are we saying? What are we really saying? What are we really believing? And I think the reason why we don't hear a clear gospel or a certain sound, the reason I believe is because we are a little shy and hesitant to proclaim boldly what we should be proclaiming this is what we ought to be proclaiming this is what we ought, this is what we ought to be proclaiming it's, it would be something like this to a group of unbelievers Jesus really is the son of the living God first thing you got to identify who he is Jesus really is the son of the living God. And if you will believe, if you will believe that when he died on that cross in Jerusalem years ago, that all your sins were taken away. All your sins were judged. If you will believe, and this is more succinct, if you will believe on this Jesus, if you will believe that God has stopped counting your sins because of His work, if you will believe That God has stopped counting your sins because of Christ. Wow. Wow. Then you will receive the forgiveness of all your sins, past, present, and future. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Presence. The Spirit shall come in. Well, that's good news. I mean, that is good news. If you will believe on this Jesus, then you can live on earth the rest of your time knowing that God is not counting your sins anymore. For God was in Christ reconciling the whole world unto himself, not counting their sins against them anymore. We're not bold enough to say that. We're scared to death to say that. Religion is scared to death to say that because religion says that will just be a blank check for the flesh. That's a blank check for the flesh. You cannot tell the people that. And that's why it's tempered. That's why it's tempered down to make him Lord. We don't want to, you know, make any... We don't want to, you to misunderstand here. You've got to be holy. You've got to straighten up. you got, you know... So that's why we say surrender. That's why we say commit. That's, you know, we want to be clear about this. We, no. We're trying to do the Spirit's work. We're trying, trying to do God's work. And it's not good news. And that's why people go to church and meeting after meeting, and they never get really born of the Spirit until some maybe years after hearing a lot of preaching, it finally dawns on them. they hear the word very clearly through someone somehow that if I believe on him, I'm forgiven for everything. And they believe in their heart. God who sees the heart. A man believes in his heart unto righteousness. Confession is made into salvation. And somewhere, somehow, he says, Oh God, I believe. Spirit comes in. And he's a new creation. Even after living in the church and being a, maybe a, a deacon in the church for years. Because they never heard. They were all on the, always on the edges. Trying to be good enough. Because the message was not clear. Take a look at this with with me, saints. Look at this. This is so cool. In the book of Acts, we can trust the Spirit of God to take care of the people when they're born of him and they, are, they receive his life, then they'll grow and they'll be taught. The spirit will teach them. And, you know, John says, you need no man teach you. But the anointing, which abides within you, shall teach you, shall lead you into all truth. And you shall abide in him. That's another bold statement the apostles made releasing people from their sins the the apostles were bold to release people from their sins because of christ and the apostles were also bold to release those new believers to christ to be taught of christ two things that religion scared to death of two things religion fights against no no you can't just release people from their sins and no no no, you can't just tell them that they can listen to god they got to listen to us and I'm not saying we don't have teachers in the body of Christ. You know what I'm saying? It's like, but, but teachers in the body of Christ are given by Christ to the body of Christ to teach what? To teach Christ. To teach how to hear his voice. How do my sheep know my voice? They will not follow a stranger. They'll follow me. He sent us into the world to make disciples of him. Not disciples of us or denominations or religious organizations, but disciples of him. So the more you encourage the believers to hear him, see him, you're doing his work. Because that's the heart of God. They all shall be taught of God, the scripture says in this new covenant. They shall no longer say, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. And under the old covenant, they had to listen to men to tell them about God. They shall no longer do that anymore, he said. They're not going to have men say, know the Lord, know the Lord, Teach, you know, learn this about God, learn this. They shall all know me, he says in this new covenant, because it's direct access, buddy. We have access to the Father by one Spirit through Christ. We have one head and many members. And it it, it doesn't breed, it does not breed this lone ranger, arrogant attitude. It breeds a humility, an excitement that you can hear his voice and you can share with each other. Oh, I heard God speak to me. Oh, you did awesome. What did he say? He said this. Oh, my God, that's awesome. That's exactly what it says here in John. You know, not weird stuff, just the, the Lord revealing himself. Had a brother just the other day say, Man, God woke me up and spoke to me. He says, read Matthew 4.4. It was scary. I actually kind of heard a voice. It was like, I've never had this happen to me. I heard Matthew 4, four, and I've never had this happen to me ever. And it scared me. And I went up and looked it up. And the verse was, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, the Spirit will teach us. And sometimes it doesn't come chapter and verse. It just comes like the word, you know, but... Those two things religion is scared to death to do is release people from their sins and release people to Christ. And yet that's the very wisdom of God and the power of God. And that's why you see churches splitting and politics and fighting and things not working and people wondering, is this all there is to Christianity and where's the power and all this stuff? It's like God is going, if you would just do what I've asked you to do, tell them, tell them sins are forgiven tell them I'm inside of them now by the gift of the spirit tell them they can hear me tell them they have a new heart and they can trust that new heart don't tell them they have an evil heart and they cannot trust it so they have to listen to men tell them what God is saying no tell them they have a new heart and they can trust the spirit of God in that new heart and in, in, and in community, in a body of believers, if someone gets off, you know, whacked off in some, you know, weirdness, that's where the body comes in and goes, brother, you sure that's Jesus telling you to go to city hall and spray paint it pink or whatever? And put Jesus on the door, the mayor's, you know, something, some weird stuff. But that's where the body comes in to. Barbara, don't do that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Again. Tom says again. <laughs> okay, let's look at this real quick. Uh Acts let's see. Acts let's look at Acts chapter ten is where it starts. Yeah, Acts chapter 10. And we've talked about this before. This is where, you know, Peter, Peter is, um, he gets this vision, you know, from heaven. And um, I think we've already said this. I don't want to say this again over and over again. But he gets this vision from heaven and this white sheet comes down from heaven in this vision. It's the four corners of the sheet with unclean animals in the sheet and the word from the Lord to Peter is what I have cleansed, no longer call unholy. And that's why it had the unclean animals in there, because Peter says, I'm a Jew. I don't eat that stuff, Lord. Why are you telling me to eat it? Because that's what the dream said. The vision said, eat, kill and eat. And Peter says, I'm, I'm Jewish. I don't eat that stuff. That's unclean. And And then... And I believe the four corners of the sheet speaks of the four corners of the earth. The whole world has been cleansed by God. I, speak of, I think the, the white sheet speaks of the purity that God has purified the whole world. I think the sheet coming down from heaven speaks of God's vision that the whole world now is potential, potentially in the heavens with him if they'll just believe. All those things. See, he's coming down from heaven, cleansed from heaven, pure. He's done it worldwide, four corners of the earth. And he's telling Peter, had this new mindset, this new attitude, because something has dramatically changed in the earth. Dramatically changed. The sacrifice of my son has completely reconciled the world. Not just in your generation, Peter, but from the days of Noah. Peter would write about that later in his letter. He said he descended to Sheol, And proclaimed, after his crucifixion and death, he proclaimed in Sheol that the work had been accomplished, the sacrifice had been given, even to the spirits who were down there from the flood of Noah, Peter writes. Not only the past, but the future. As Jesus said, these things I write, I say that those who believe on me and believe on your word, speaking of the apostles, might have life also. So that's you and me. So we were all not, not even born yet when he died for us. So it's, it's every, as Hebrew says very clearly, for all people, for all sin, for all time. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world covers the whole history of the world. So here's Peter seeing this, this awesome revelation from God. This was not possible until Christ came. And here Peter is being told by God, what I've cleansed, no longer call unholy. And I just mentioned that because that's one of the key things as we preach to unbelievers, as we share with unbelievers, as we speak to unbelievers, we've got to have in our heart this revelation from God, I think, to really have an impact. Do we see unbelievers as um, unreconciled by God? Or do we see unbelievers as already reconciled, already reconciled, already forgiven by God? Yet not forgiven unless they believe. Of course, they're not. They don't. If they don't receive this gift, they'll die in their sins. The Scripture says, and they'll be judged for their sins if they don't receive this gift. But. The, but the point is, God said this, he did three times, he showed this vision to Peter. Because sh- anytime God says some, something three times or shows something three times, it's very important. It's a revelation of something very important. So, first of all, I think we need to really have this mind change that Peter had. Peter was then summoned to go to the house of Cornelius. Minutes later, God prepared him, because otherwise he'd have said no. I don't go to the house of a Gentile, they're dogs, you know, I, I'm a Jew. Just like says, I don't eat unclean food. God prepared Peter to go to the house of Cornelius. So here's Peter coming into this house of Gentiles, and he, all their relatives were hanging around, you know, standing up and sitting on boxes. You know, they wanted, he, Cornelius invited all of his friends and his relatives to come hear what Peter had to say. Notice this too, that the angel who spoke to Cornelius The angel said to Cornelius, go and send for one Peter in Joppa, which is like south of Tel Aviv. Go and send to one named Peter, for he has words, words to tell you. The Spirit of God will come into unbelievers through words. There's nowhere in the scripture that is taught that you just pray the Holy Spirit down on people. The angel had to send, the angel had to get Cornelius to send for a man, an apostle with words. It doesn't have to be an apostle either, but that was just the beginning of the church. So here's the words, not that prayer doesn't prepare the hearts and prayer is not important. I'm not saying that, but I'm telling you, a lot of people have been doing a lot of intercessory prayer, but they haven't spoken the words. You can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, but unless someone speaks the words, and I'm not talking about the words like ask Jesus into your heart and surrender to God and make him Lord of your life. I'm talking about this word that Peter said to Cornelius. We're going to read it in a minute, what he said, what brought the Spirit. It's awesome. Okay, so Peter was sent to speak certain words And he comes down to, or goes up, actually goes north to Caesarea, goes to Cornelius' house. And look at here. Um, yeah, the whole thing is really good. The whole chapter, I really, rec- rec- I really recommend or encourage you to read the whole chapter 10. It's awesome, awesome. There's a reason, there's huge reasons why this chapter is recorded for us in the book of Acts. But let's start with, I guess, 34, where he starts to talk after he's assembled with the people in Cornelius' house. And he says, verse 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, see, opening his mouth, here come the words. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. He's speaking of the Gentiles. And there he goes. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel... Preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Now when Peter says that preaching peace as the beginning of what he's going to share, in the apostles' minds, preaching peace has to do with sin. Peace. Peace with God. We were enemies of Christ. While we were yet enemies, that's war. While we were yet enemies at war with God because of our sin, Christ died for us. Not when we repented and became his friend, but while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us, Paul says. So now we have peace with God, Paul says, and we stand in the peace of God because of what he did in removing our sin. Isaiah says, tell my people their warfare is over. Their warfare has ceased. Peace, peace. Tell my people they have received double for their iniquity that I'm at peace with them now. I love that because what the prophet is really saying is that I've overpaid for their sin. If you tallied up all the sin of a 110-year-old man, and if there was a value you could put on sin, and if his sin was uh, $152,000, say, if you you could put a value on it, a 110-year-old man, all the sin he's ever committed in life on earth $152,000 and the Redeemer redeems him and pays the price it would be like the Lord paying $30 trillion for that man tell my people they received double and it doesn't mean just exactly double it means like more than more than enough. It's the same parable that Jesus talked about, how the the king forgave this person all this money, but the, the servant wouldn't forgive a few dollars. You know, that's the difference. Isn't that cool? In other words, you cannot sin enough to sin too much for the blood of Christ to forgive. You cannot. $152,000 versus 30000000000000 trillion. You're not even close. Isn't that awesome? Now, well, that's good news. See, that's good news. And contrary to religious thinking, it leads a person not to a fleshly lifestyle or a blank check with the flesh. It leads a person into heaven, into heaven itself. A door is open. And heaven comes inside that person. A union takes place. And that person begins to learn to live by another life within the life of Christ. Awesome. Okay. Here we go. He says, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism which which John proclaimed. It started started to to be proclaimed after the baptism of John. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before him by God, that is to us. We ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach. Now, what he's saying so far here, so far here he's establishing who Jesus is. We're witnesses of the, of the miracles and how God was with him. We are witnesses of how they put him to death, according to what the prophets proclaimed. We are witnesses of his resurrection. He became visible. We saw him. We ate and drank with him afterwards. You know, he's setting all this up. So far, the Spirit has not fallen, right? Verse 42. And he ordered us to preach to the people, proclaim to the people, and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as the judge of the living and the dead. In other words, nobody gets to the Father but through him. This is the one. Verse 43, here we go. And of him... All the prophets, not just half of them or a few of them, not just the major ones, but all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Verse 44, look at how the Spirit's writing this. Look at at verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Those who were listening to these words, the Spirit fell upon them and filled them and they didn't even say anything. They didn't raise their hand. Like Pam said, they didn't raise their hand. They didn't come forward. They didn't make him Lord of their life. They didn't ask him into their heart. Why? Because God, in Acts 15, you can read in Acts 15, when Peter's speaking to the council in Jerusalem, the elders in Jerusalem, he, said, he, he recounts what happened here in this house. And he said, God who sees the heart saw faith. Because remember what Cornelius said? He said, look, an angel has appeared to us and told us to send for you. We are open we are wide open here. Whatever you say, it's as if God himself is speaking to us, so just say it. I've got all my friends, my relatives here to hear this. We are here to hear whatever you have to say. And so as Peter was speaking those words, it wasn't like, I wonder if this is true or not. They were like, whatever. He, if he says God is an elephant, we're going to believe it. At this point, the angel has prepared us, and no matter what, this man says, this is God speaking, as if it's God. And so they were like, and that's why they didn't have to say anything. Because God who sees the heart, when the word came, they believed. Because what was he asking them to do? If you believe on this one, you shall receive the forgiveness of sins. And as he was speaking these words, the spirit of God fell. Isn't that awesome? Because God sees the heart. He sees faith. A man believes in his heart unto righteousness and confession is made into salvation. We believe, therefore we speak. You will speak eventually. You can't but speak if you believe. In fact, the scripture says that's a a key to a, a true believer is that he will speak. We believe, therefore we speak. We cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Yeah, Kathleen? Well, that's a good question. But first of all, remember, they didn't really know the God they loved. They didn't really know him. They, they wanted to know him. These were Gentiles who were outside the Jewish faith. And they were God-fearers. They called them God-fearers, and they wanted to know him. They wanted to be part of this covenant. And also his friends and his family members he brought in were probably not as devoted as Cornelius was. So, first of all, don't see them as just Christians who don't have the Spirit of God. Because they're not. You know, they're not Christians who don't have the Spirit of God. Because if, you're not a Christ, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. But you're right, Kathleen, that they, are, they were, at least Cornelius was, already, you know, leaning toward searching. As the Scripture says, he's not far from any of us. If we search for him, he, he'll be found of us. And he was searching, and that's why God honored his heart of searching and the alms and his desire to know the truth and the true God. God honored that by sending an angel and chose him as the beginning of the Gentile explosion. So there's nothing wrong with that, but, but uh, don't think that the message has to change for an on-the-street unbeliever who has no clue and has no desire to go after God and so forth because the message is the same. And so, to that person who is not even looking for God, as the Scripture says, Paul preached this message and went out, and to the Jews who were trying to get righteousness, it was a stumbling block to the Jews who were trying to be righteous and trying to do things to earn righteousness. But to the Gentiles, the Scripture says, who were not even looking for righteousness, and they weren't even looking for God. They received this good news with gladness and found righteousness, Paul said, through faith, as a gift. So I guess your question is, is, there a, is the message different for someone who is, who is not looking after God, who's not seeking God? And I guess what you're getting at is, should there be a stronger emphasis on repentance from sin or turning from sin and that kind of thing? And yeah, that could be definitely, definitely part of it because that's part of the, the message of the gospel is to turn from the flesh, turn from the sin, turn from worshiping idols, turn from uh, evil, for God has come. But he's come with incredible good news, and that good news is that he is not counting your sins against you anymore. For it is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. It is the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. And so even though the Spirit guides us in each way we approach an unbeliever or a believer, Um, or we're really talking about unbelievers right now, but an unbeliever who has no desire, no seeking for God, and then an unbeliever who kind of is looking for God, the Spirit will, will speak to us how to say that to each person. The essence, though, the essence of the message that brings the Spirit has to be a clear message that this God so loves you that He took all your judgment upon Himself And he has stopped counting your sins. And if you will believe on him, you shall receive the forgiveness of all your sins. Now, one thing that the the enemy has done from the very beginning, that phrase that we read there where Peter says, he who believes on him shall receive the forgiveness of their sins. That phrase, the forgiveness of your sins, has lost its power in many ways, in our generation and in many generations past, because of what the enemy did almost at the very beginning of the church in church history, the enemy could not take away the historical fact of the coming of the Son of God and his death and his resurrection. He, couldn't, he tried his best to take that away. He couldn't take it away. So what he did was, the enemy's strategy was, instead of taking away this awesome good news that had come to earth, that faith in this one removes sin and brings complete forgiveness for all sin, where God in this new covenant is not even even remembering our sin anymore, what he did was he made the forgiveness of sins not a one-time event. He actually changed. He said, okay, I'll give you your your Christ. I'll give you your forgiveness, but it's only done on a daily basis. It's only done when you do forgiveness the bread and the wine it's only done when you come to mass it's only done when you are remind, when you are when it's given to you through the hands of men on a daily basis and if you leave the church if you're excommunicated from the church you don't have forgiveness anymore because it comes through the priest it comes through the bread it comes through the wine because this is actually the body and blood of Christ this is actually his sacrifice the word mass means sacrifice so this is this is actually we are going to be agents I'm going to make men agents of this good news and take away the finality of it and the power of it. See? That's exactly what he did. And it continued on in the Protestant tradition. Even in the Protestant tradition, we have this concept of a daily forgiveness through confession. See? It's a powerful, powerful strategy of the enemy that happened centuries ago at the outset of the church to block this awesome good news of a final sacrifice. After he purged us from all our sin, he sat down on the right hand of God. And now we proclaim this finished work and we proclaim this forgiveness. And even to this day, just like Paul said of the Jews, even to this day, a veil remains over the mind of the reading of the Old Covenant. Even to this day, a veil remains over the Christian in the hearing of the gospel because it's still mixed with this daily confession and daily forgiveness and daily cleansing, which is not the apostolic gospel. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anyway, that's, that's so that's why I say when you preach to an unbeliever, you have to go beyond just saying you, re- you shall receive the forgiveness of your sins. You have to explain that fully because when Peter said that, they understood what that meant. No sacrifices to the temple, no further work to get cleansed. Peter's telling us it's over, it's done. You know, they understood that. But in our day, it's been so layered over with religious concepts and, and strategies of the enemy that it doesn't have the impact. When you tell someone their sins are forgiven, they only feel like, well, I'm forgiven for this afternoon. But tomorrow is another story. That's why you have to be clear and say, it's not just forgiveness for the past and your present. It's forgiveness for the future. I, t- I shared this with an Assembly of God pastor years ago. In Louisiana, and it wasn't Morris either, it was actually Morris went to this pastor's church years ago, and he left that church. And I talked to this, I mean, I sent a letter to this, this church, this pastor, talking to him about this very thing, because he was, he was really coming down on a friend of mine about, you know, your future sins are not forgiven. And he is totally, he was totally, totally blind to the fact that even the future sins are forgiven. Of a believer, I mean, it's so clear in the Scripture. Um, but most pastors, most preachers today, even today, if you ask them, are the future sins forgiven of a Christian? Most will say no, because they still see forgiveness in time and space. As you commit them, they have to be cleansed. As you commit them. Not seeing the mystery of death and resurrection where we have literally been translated to another kingdom. We're no longer under law, Paul says. Therefore, sin is not even imputed. Where there is no law, there is no imputation, no transgression if there's no law. But they don't see that. And that's why the believer is, is so uh, torn on the inside and not being released so the spirit of life can really flourish. Yeah, Teddy? And then... Christ, the board, it's been chunked out of the rest. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's not even written. It's not even there to be taken account. Of. That's exactly right. What happened was, that's exactly right. Um, the concept in most Christians' minds and in, in preachers' minds is that as you commit sin, it's on the board. And then as you confess and ask forgiveness, they're erased, which is what, why they say keep short accounts. Because it grows, your account grows. Keep short accounts with God so you can confess and get them cleansed. But the board remains. But the scripture says he nailed the board to the tree. He nailed the certificate itself, the document that records it. He nailed the certificate itself to the tree. So there's no board to write on. It's exactly right. That's the proper understanding of, of forgiveness. And, and if we don't have that clear understanding, We will not present a clear gospel to the unbeliever. It'll be mixed with all kinds of conditions. Yeah, if you get your life straight. Yeah, if you do this, if you do that. No, you need to just penetrate the darkness with this good news. It is the good news. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And leave it with God. Leave it with God. And so they don't change. What if they don't believe? What if they don't change? Then you've done what you can do. Jesus himself... Spread this word, and only in the parable of the sower, only one-fourth bore fruit. Three-fourths, one didn't understand. One believed for a while, then, then forsook the gospel. Another one got tied up in worldly affairs and didn't. Only one-fourth in that parable bore fruit. If the Lord himself has one out of four bearing fruit, don't worry about it. It's God's work. But i tell you this, if you don't pre- preach a clear gospel, you'll have zero out of four. Zero out of four, because you're going to have people trying to do things to get to God, trying to be good enough to get to God, and they'll never hear the unadulterated, clear, pure, certain sound that he so loves you that he has stopped counting sins against you so you and he could be together forever. It's awesome. So with that mindset that God has already reconciled the world, they need, they need only receive and accept him. We proclaim a simple, a simple, powerful gospel of complete forgiveness and reconciliation to the one who is seeking God, like Kathleen was talking about with Cornelius, and even to the one who's not seeking God. The message does not change. And then God himself will do the work. Yes, I'm sorry. That's a good point. See, he was still, he was, he was, the alms and yeah, he was, he was still trying to, he was searching for God, but he was still looking for, you know, maybe if I do these good things for people, God will love me and God will accept me. And that's exactly right. So, (laughs) you know, that's, that's a real, that's a real key. You know, when we stop, I say this little thing, I say, you know. (laughs) This little phrase I say to people, I say, you know, when you sit down, that's when God's going to stand up inside of you, you know, just rest in him and he will stand up. Martha, Martha, you're busy about many things, you know, but Mary has chosen the, the one thing needed. He, she sits at my feet, she's resting and she's receiving from me and life flourishes. It's God's way. It's not our way. It's not the natural man's way of doing things. Lord, thank you so much for helping us see, helping us see the simplicity. Help us proclaim a clear word of complete forgiveness to believers and unbelievers. Same message. For it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. For whoever believes on this one, God has stopped counting their sins. Amen.